Perhaps extraterrestrials know we are here but don't want to deal with us, either by communicating or by visiting. This is the zoo hypothesis, and it may explain why we haven't seen or knowingly seen any space aliens. You can ask your friends why scientists have failed to find extraterrestrials, and you can be sure at least one of them will offer the following answer. Humans are not worthy. We are flawed beings, and we routinely threaten one another, not to mention other species and the environment that doesn't sound very civilized, does it? And it offers a plausible explanation for the lack of alien contact. Perhaps the extraterrestrials know we are here, but don't want to deal with us, either by communicating or by visiting. Kind of like observing an anthill. I won't bother an anthill. Now, if ants are in my house, I kind of have to get rid of them. But if I'm out in the open and outside and I see ants, I like to stop and watch them. You know, I don't want to be in the anthill with them. I don't want to work with them or eat with them, but I find them interesting and fascinating, so I will stop and watch them. Now, the idea is endlessly appealing. It's also very old, because in 1973, MIT radio astronomer John Ball published a paper in which he suggested that the lack of success in uncovering cosmic company wasn't due to a lack of aliens. It was because these otherworldly scientists have agreed to a hands-off policy. That's what I will be discussing this week in this episode of Paranormally Speaking. Once again, we are at the precipice of Season 6. Thanks for sticking with me this long. And I'll continue to do this as long as you continue to tune in. Continue to send emails. uh, Ask me to discuss certain things. Discuss topics. uh, Give me a good rating on iTunes or on Spotify. And I'll keep doing this as long as there's an interest. And I will be back with more of the zoo hypothesis right after this message. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hey, awesome. You returned. Thanks for coming back after that short break. Now, they've kept their distance, not because we're imperfect, but because of our right to pursue our own destiny. Diversity is something that everyone in the cosmos is assumed to value. So life-bearing worlds should be left to their own evolutionary development. Kind of like the status quo of the Enterprise and Starfleet to not physically and actively get involved in the progression of a culture and or species. It may occur to you that Ball's idea sounds something like Star Trek, the famous Prime Directive, which forbade space farcing or interference of any kind members of the Federation from doing any, anything that might interfere with other cultures or civilizations, even if that interference was well-intentioned. The MIT astronomer was proposing that we failed to make contact with aliens, not because we are unworthy, but because we are worthy, the way endangered eels are worthy. Ball went further proposing that we may live in a 
metaphorical zoo, a kind of a cosmic Eden. The aliens of the galaxy have somehow arranged things so that our planet is shielded from them by one-way bars. They can observe us, but they can't allow us to observe them. One nice thing about the conjecture is that it offers a solution to a long-standing puzzle known as Fermi's Paradox. Broached nearly 70 years ago by physicist Enrico Fermi, it rests on the fact that the universe is very, very old. Consequently, if intelligent life is commonplace, then some of it is surely advanced enough to have colonized the entire galaxy. We should see evidence of aliens everywhere, but the fact that we don't might be explained by Ball's hypothesis, where being deliberately isolated. The zoo hypothesis has been in the news recently because it also provides justification for an activity known as METI, short for Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Simply stated, METI practitioners transmit radio signals into space with the hope of provoking a response from any aliens who might pick them up. It was in 2017, a Norwegian antenna was used to beam a message to a star system 12 light years away. Not too long after that, actually it was, I believe, 2022, the whole enterprise was discussed by researchers at a meeting in Paris. Douglas Vavok, the president of METI International, a San Francisco-based organization that organized the Norwegian transmission, invoked the zoo hypothesis as a possible justification for broadcasting. After all, if the hypothesis is correct, then it's understandable why our efforts to find signals from space have been unsuccessful. We've been mindlessly pacing our earthly cage while the extraterrestrials maintain their distance, but keep watch. But of course, the experts always weigh in when discussions like this come up. As Vokov argues, the one-way scenario might be changed if a zoo animal suddenly starts barking through the bars saying, I'm here, I'm here, and I think you're out there. Those on the other side might respond. Simply put, Medi's deliberate transmissions might lead to a discovery of cosmic company because the broadcast would tell the aliens that we no longer require their helicopter parenting. We are adult enough for them to get in touch. Still, the zoo hypothesis is dependent on earthly life being really important. Our existence is apparently significant enough that it dictates the behavior of societies that might be millions or billions of years more advanced. And Bull's idea requires a galaxy-wide compact to keep all evidence of intelligent inhabitants, radio signals, laser flashes, and even the construction of easily detected megastructures from being visible by Earthlings. How would you do that, even if you're a highly advanced alien? In addition, the idea that all extraterrestrials are keen to keep the evolution of our planet free and natural sounds a bit odd self-centered and a bit too altruistic. Let's face it, the prime directive was never or has never been in fashion with us. Indeed, we seem to prefer the opposite. On Earth, we interfere with one another's cultural development all the time. So the zoo hypothesis seems more than a little forced. 
On the other hand, I have to admit that it is a bit cagey. No pun intended, considering that we are the caged ones being observed, if that is the case, being observed by a higher form of intelligence, supreme beings, that be it God or celestial entities from far-off galaxies. It's anyone's guess. I'm not here to preach, I'm here to teach. And I present the evidence to you and give you the opportunity to do your own fact-finding and soul-searching. That's what I do here. And when I return from this next commercial break, I will read to you some of the really cool things people have said about my podcast. A few reviews here and there, and a close to five-star rating. And there are a couple of negative reviews in the mix, and I never leave those out. Even though they are a bit of an insult, still, we can all grow from that. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Well, like I promised, I'm back. And I mentioned that I was going to read some reviews that people have left me because for my podcast, they've said things, they've, I've received emails, I've received online reviews through iTunes or iHeartRadio or Spotify. And some of these are great, you know, they just, they just keep coming in and really messages of encouragement, like, thanks, Neil. Great show as usual. Keep it up, Darren. And that was for the episode I did, the Tic Tac UFOs from Catalina Island and underwater alien bases. Uh, another individual said, Ghost children are in San Antonio, Texas, and it was a school bus full of children. And that was my episode, Ghost Children, the Spirit World and Paranormal Kids. That was from someone who calls himself Parapsychologist. Another individual said, I don't see us going to Mars anytime at or before 2060, period. And that was for my episode, Life on Mars, Possibilities, Myths, and Alien Life. And uh, last review that was actually uh, put online through iTunes. Excellent episode. This gentleman is great and tells and knows how to tell a story. And I, I appreciate that. That was from Mark. And other comments that have actually been on the Apple podcast preview. This one says, love this podcast. High quality content and great voice. They gave me five stars. Uh, that was on uh, 426 2023 from Ashlyn333. If you're listening, Ashlyn333, thank you for that. That uh, was really encouraging. It keeps me going on. It 
sometimes I get too comfortable and might get a little bit lazy from episode to episode. And you may hear some of the same stories twice down the road, like a year from now. Problem is I'm getting up in age. And when you get old like me, you start to tell the same stories over and over again, much like a grandfather. Uh, This person gave me a one-star review. Production value is non-existent. The sound quality is bad most of the time. Unlistenable sometimes. I like some good paranormal stories, but this guy shares stories and doesn't even provide any evidence. I gave it three episodes and I was out. Well, if you're starting from the very beginning, season one of the podcast, of course, your first season is always going to be rocky. Now, granted, it was not technically my first season since I started this podcast in 2011, did it for two years, and then went on a hiatus, and then brought it back in 2019. Uh, reason being, things things uh, kind of untied a little bit for me, time-wise. Uh, my schedule got better with a job that I was worrying, working at that point. I was a business owner, so I kind of called the shots on my hours. And what's really cool about now, I use my iPhone to record these episodes. I do this with phone in hand, and I have key points that I speak from. It's non-scripted. I go from key point to key point, and I can talk for five minutes on one sentence alone. Um, this was from Timmy Bobby Bob on 9-13-2022, where he gave me one star. And that just shows me that I need to do something to, I guess, improve, maybe be a little bit better to draw more people like Timmy, Bob, Bobby Bob back to my show, and hopefully they can learn something. Five stars from MXSandy12. It said, a must for UFO fans. I love this show. Thank you so much, MXSandy12. I hope you come back for more. Oh, I got one star from Biggie's Smalls 55 Nope. He had six interesting stories, but after the 12th time hearing them, they got old. If I could rate this less than one star, I would. Wow. Okay, so like I said earlier, I have a tendency to repeat the same stories. I mean, I've got over 262 episodes, Biggie Smalls, 55. So you could like Russian roulette your way through this and find something you've not heard before. I promise you. This one is from Back Porch Lee. Five stars. Well done. This podcast is very well done, and the stories are interesting and intense. I thank you for that. I pride myself on keeping my stories interesting and intense since I am an author. My new book is dropping this August. It's all about the Ross County, Ohio area. It's called Ghosts of Ross County. It will be 20-plus new stories that I have had in my head for decades. And I've not released a new book since 2018 other than a few compilations with other fellow authors, an audiobook I released in 2020, and I have illustrated three children's books. But as far as a full-fledged book from me, and only me, out in the stores and online, I have not done that since 2018. COVID was crazy. It gave me a chance to find other creative outlets. I mean, I've been an artist my entire life, and I, when I was confronted approached by the author to illustrate her children's books, I jumped at the chance of doing that because I had always wanted to do animation or illustration instead of just uh, single cell 
cartoon characters that I've done for decades and other forms of art since I thankfully dabble in all forms of artistic media. Uh, This is in love with this app. Five stars. I love it. I love hearing about that, what he talks about, and having discussions about all this stuff. Thank you so much for in love with this app. And the last review, five stars from Ridiculous Patronus 1. Ridiculous Patronus 1. If you're listening, you said, awesome, really cool podcast. Intense and great personal stories from the host about ghosts and the paranormal. Hearing about the haunted items will keep you on the edge of your seat and up all night. I did an episode on haunted items, uh, whether they be heirlooms passed down to you from family members or something you pick up at a garage sale, an estate sale, or flea market, garage sale, or an auction. There's often paranormal elements, energies attached to these items, and you can bring them into your home and unknowingly haunt your own house. That was a fun episode. But I wanted to share these reviews with you because I've asked time and time again at the end of each episode, if you have any questions, comments, or reviews you'd like to pass on, I'm happy to go over those. I'm all ears, and sometimes I like to share them with the listeners. So, based on those reviews and my reaction to them, please continue with the comments, continue with the reviews, continue with questions, concerns, and advice. I'm all ears. It's an open door at Paranormally Speaking. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen through? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of those questions is simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right now. In fact, that's what I'm doing by reading this ad. So if you really wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. To join me in this diverse community of podcasters. If you're already using Anchor, then go to anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear from you and your podcast. After all this time searching for aliens, is it the zoo hypothesis or nothing? In 1950, during a lunchtime conversation with colleagues at the Los Alamos National Laboratory, famed physicist Enrico Fermi asked the question that launched a hundred or more proposed resolutions. Where is everybody? In short, given the age of the universe, that being 13.8 billion years, the fact that the solar system has only existed for the past 4.5 billion years, and the fact that the ingredients for life are everywhere in abundance, why haven't we found evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence by now? This came to be the basis of Fermi's paradox, which remains unsolved to this day. Interest in Fermi's question has been peaked in recent years thanks to the sheer number of potentially habitable exoplanets discovered in distant star systems. Despite that, all attempts to find signs of technological activity have come up empty. In a recent study, a team of astrobiologists considered the possible resolutions and concluded that only two possibilities exist. 
either extraterrestrial civilizations are incredibly rare or non-existent, or they are deliberately avoiding contact with us, also known as the zoo hypothesis. The paper, which was recently published in Nature Astronomy, was the work of Ian A. Crawford and Dirk Schultz-McCook. Crawford is a professor of planetary science and astrobiology at the School of Natural Sciences and the Center for Planetary, planetary Science at UCL Burbeck College, while Schultz-McCook is a professor of planetary habitability and astrobiology at the Technical University of Berlin the GFZ German Research Center for Geosciences, the Leibniz Institute of Freshwater Exoology and Inland Fisheries, and an adjunct professor at Washington State University. When does this guy sleep? The big question, as we addressed, as what was addressed in the series Beyond Fermi's Paradox, the paradox itself actually began with astronomer and white nationalist, Michael Hart in 1975, in a paper titled Explanation for the Absence of Extraterrestrials on Earth. Hart argued that given the age of the universe and the relatively short time it would take for an advanced civilization to spread across the Milky Way galaxy, that being 650,000 years, by Hart's estimate, Earth should have been visited by an extraterrestrial civilization by now. And there's honestly... Evidence that that has happened, but still they argue that it's non-existent. In 1980, mathematical psychologist, physicist, and cosmologist Frank J. Tipler built on and refined Hart's arguments with his paper, Extraterrestrial Intelligence Begins and Beings Do Not Exist, based on the Copper Principle, which states that neither humanity nor Earth are in a privileged position to observe the universe. Accordingly, Tipler theorized that at ETC would be assisted by self-replicating robotic explorers that would spread from system to system, facilitating the arrival of settlers later. By Tipler's refined estimate, an ETC would be able to explore the entire galaxy in less than 300 million years. Makes a lot of sense when you consider the strange round dome-like UFOs that keep popping up and moving in a way that defies the laws of known physics, not to mention the UFO tic-tac phenomenon that the Navy has been tracking since 2015 openly. This came to be known as the Hart-Tipler conjecture. Now, the great silence continues to persist, and nevertheless, despite decades of observation and SETI surveys, there is still no definitive evidence that advanced extraterrestrial civilizations are out there. For the most part, these have consisted of radio SETI experiments and have observed distant stars and galaxies for indications of radio transmissions. However, other SETI experiments have focused on anomalous infrared heat signatures that could indicate the presence of say, a megastructure designed to enclose an entire star system, otherwise known as a Dyson sphere or a Dyson structure. Alas, these searches have found no compelling evidence of technosignatures within our galaxy or beyond. According to Crawford and Schultz-Makuk, the great silence we perceive when we look out into the universe 
can only mean one of two things. First, there's the possibility that Hart-Tipler conjecture is correct, and there are no advanced ETCs out there. A similar argument, it may be that intelligent life, or life in general, is rare, and the universe, due to the odds being stacked against it, emergence or evolution, a.k.a. the Great Filter. If neither of these scenarios is true, we are left with only one answer, that being the zoo hypothesis. And that is correct, and advanced civilizations are keeping their distance to avoid being detected, as Crawford told Universe Today magazine. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. We need to make what's normal seem strange. To find intelligent alien life, humans may need to start thinking like extraterrestrials. Our hunt for aliens has potentially had a fatal flaw from the beginning. We are the ones searching for them. That's the problem because we are a unique species, and alien-seeking scientists are even stranger and more specialized. As a result, their all-too-human assumptions may get in the way of their alien listening endeavors. To get around this, the Breakthrough Listening Project, a $100 million initiative scouring the cosmos for signals of otherworldly beings as part of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. SETI, of course, is asking anthropologists to help unmask some of these biases. It's kind of a joke at Breakthrough Listen. Claire Webb, an anthropology and history of science student at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, said here on January 8th at the 235th meeting of the American Astronomical Society, AAS, in Honolulu. They tell me we're studying aliens, and you are studying us. Since 2017, Webb has worked with Breakthrough Listen to examine how SETI researchers think about aliens produce knowledge, and perhaps inadvertently place anthropocentric assumptions into their work. She sometimes describes their efforts as making the familiar strange. For instance, your life might seem perfectly ordinary, maybe involving being hunched over a desk and shuttling electronics around between computers until examined through an anthropological lens which points out that this is not exactly a universal state of affairs. At the conference, Webb presented a poster looking at how breakthrough listen scientists use artificial intelligence to shift through large data and try to uncover potential techno-signatures. 
or indicators of technology or tool use by alien organisms. Researchers who use AI tend to disavow human handicraft in the machines they build, Webb told Science. They attribute to a lot of the agency to those machines. I find that somewhat problematic and at the worst untrue. Any AI is trained by human beings who present it with the types of signals they think an an intelligent alien might produce. In doing so, they predispose their algorithms to certain biases. It can be incredibly difficult to recognize such thinking and overcome its limitations, Webb said. Pop culture has given us many ideas of what aliens could be like. E.T., he brought a lot of heart and compassion for beings from other worlds and the compassion they would have for us. ALF, the short-lived sitcom from the 80s, I think it was on about four seasons, he brought the laughs, he brought the heart. That was a fun show, and it showed that humans and aliens could coexist in the same household. Then, of course, you've got the movie Aliens, which shows a more hostile version of an alien and that us meeting with them would not be a a good idea or a way in our favor. Then you've got Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They wanted to bring compassion and understanding to us and allow us to learn from them and learn from our mistakes. Then you've got the variations of aliens in the X-Files. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, the gray aliens. What kind of an agenda do they have? Are they, in fact, crossbreeding with our species and creating a hybrid human-alien species since they may or may not be able to reproduce on their own any longer? That's one theory. But the one that I'm about to talk about would be humans will undoubtedly attack aliens before they attack us, says one scientist. Humanity has often longed for the stars, wishing to find other species out in the expanse. But if humans and aliens collided, would it be a peaceful interaction? Absolutely not. If you think otherwise, you're adorably naive. With humanity's history of violence and colonialism, it's impossible to believe that humans and aliens would get along. Now, scientist Albert Canaletto in the report, will aliens attack first or will humans attack aliens first? Canaletto explained that humans are far more likely to be the invading aliens than being invaded by another force. In fact, the chance of extraterrestrials being the initial threat is incredibly minimal. The scientists came up with the minuscule odds of humanity being invaded by aliens, just 0.0014%, of course. This is good news for us, as we don't particularly want to be invaded, but bad for any existing extraterrestrials, as we are the much bigger threat. Canaletto explains that humanity would more likely attack humans Humanity would more likely attack aliens due to the fact that extraterrestrials reaching Earth would likely already be nonviolent. With Earth unlikely to be the first planet of additional contact for alien races, there would be no reason to attack humanity. 
In his report, Canaletto explains that the war-going nature of our species changes as they become more technologically advanced. Specifically, as civilizations start to use more energy, they are less likely to attack. Canaletto calls the Kardashev scale. If an alien race researched Earth, it would likely be a galactic civilization. This means that the race would be able to harness energy from the entirety of the known universe, thus not needing to fight Earth over resources. Data from last century shows that the frequency of invasions between countries have gradually decreased as time goes by, the scientist told Forbes. With this in mind, aliens coming to Earth are more likely to come to Earth purely for scientific purposes. However, humanity might wish to fight in order to advance technology and gain access to more researches. And we've reached that time again where it's the end of the episode. Join me next week for more of what I do best, which is talk and sometimes repeat the same stories. What did we learn today? The zoo hypothesis. Are we being watched from a distance because we're not worthy of contact? Are we like ants working in an anthill observed by giants? Um, I guess admired by giants. It's anyone's guess. But this is why I do what I do. I have fun. I hope you have fun. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks for listening this long and for six seasons now. Have a great day. I will see you next time for more of the same. Take care of yourself. You stay as beautiful.